Live with CDP Sports Talk, a weekly sports and entertainment podcast sponsored by Barry Cullen Chevrolet. Live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Twitch, and LinkedIn. And on audio via Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Anchor FM, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Radio Public, and TuneIn. Now, here's your host, Chris Palme. Good afternoon, everybody. On this Monday, November 6, 2023, welcome to Live with CDP Sports Talk, sponsored by Barry Cullen Chevrolet Dealership at 905 Woodlawn Road West in the Guelph Auto Mall. Check out barrycullen.com for the newest selection of new and pre-owned GM vehicles, or give them a call at 519-824-0210, or email them at info at barrycullen.com. Live with CDP Sports Talk is on weeknights from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. on radio station WQEE 99.1 FM in Metro Atlanta, the home of Southern Talk and Sports. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Season 7, Episode 1 of Live with CDP today. And um, I guess this will be his record eighth appearance on my show. And he's a friend of mine, and I met him a few years ago, uh, actually four years ago, at uh, Elite Sports Tours at a Packers-Eagles uh, trip. And uh, his name is Pat Gregor. He's from Coolbat, Canada. And he's also an analyst with the Halifax Thunderbirds of the National Lacrosse League, as well as the TSN Game of the Week for the National Lacrosse League. One second, I'm going to bring on Pat. Good afternoon, Pat. How you doing? Doing good, Chris. I'm uh, I'm very proud and honored uh, to be on here for a record eight times. Uh, always fun hopping on, uh, talking lacrosse, talking all different sports with you. Plus two uh, live interviews I've done with you, one in Hamilton and one in Buffalo. So yes, this is you're technically right. your technically your tenth appearance. So you're the Bill Belichick of my guests. <laughs> that's uh, that's good company. I, I will take the comparison to to Bill Belichick. So how are things with you? Can't complain, Chris. Uh, believe it or not, man, we are less than a month away from kicking off the NLL season. Training camps opened up over the past couple of weekends, so uh, I'm enjoying a little bit of the downtime, uh, although things with CoolBet very busy, um, because give it a month, we'll be back in the nest in Halifax for our first uh, NLL game of the week, actually a doubleheader, uh, and then next thing you know, it's, it's going to be full swing of the NLL. It's going to be a lot of fun. It should be a great season. Okay. Uh, before we get to the National Lacrosse League, I just wanted to talk to you for a few minutes about the uh, Buffalo Bills and the game last night against the Cincinnati Bengals. And I just wanted to get your thoughts, being a Bills fan, on the loss to the Cincinnati Bengals and dropping the 5-4 and four on the year. Yeah, it was a tough one for the Bills last night. I think, to, to be quite honest, a lot of people expected the, the Bengals to come out with a victory. Uh, to be quite frank, with just how well they've been playing and and historically over the last couple of seasons, how well this Bengals team has played against the Buffalo Bills. But uh, a hard-fought battle indeed, I, I tend to agree. Um, but I think it, it continues to open up a lot of questions about where this Buffalo team not is only right now, but where they're heading. Now at 5-4, and four, sitting outside of a playoff spot, um, we know the injuries are, are amounting on the defensive side of the ball, but Chris, they they only gave up three points in the second half to a red hot Joe Burrow and the Bengals team. The defense did their job in the second half. Uh, once again, though, the the Bills' offense 
could not find ways uh, to muster up offense to to get into the back of the end zone. zone. Um, you know, in that first quarter or first drive, they look great. Um, up tempo uh, was spreading the ball all around. Josh Allen looked great. Um, after that, they just went stagnant. And I know a lot of folks around Bills Mafia uh, today are, are really questioning not only the future of Ken Dorsey, because I think even last year when I talked to you, Chris, on this program, or I should say last summer or whenever the last time it was on, uh, I was expecting and hoping a change uh, at the offensive coordinator position. That still hasn't happened. I don't know if we get a middle of the season change, to be quite honest. But I do think now there's a lot of growing concern um, and uh, some additional pressure on Sean McDermott. Uh, if you waste another year of Josh Allen in his prime, you're wasting another year of Stefan Diggs in his prime. Um it's concerning, and I know you're missing a lot of really key pieces on defense, but uh, that's that's the game of football. you got to find ways. Uh, the defense has done a good enough job considering all those pieces done. It hasn't been the defense that will let this team down. It's been the offense. Now, being a Buffalo Bills fan, I think you're not happy about losing to the Bengals, but to me, Cincinnati right now might only be 5-3, and three, but to me, they're playing as well as anybody in the National Football League, and Joe Burrow looks like the Joe Burrow uh, that took the Bengals to the Super Bowl two years ago. What is my concerning is, if I'm a Bills fan, is the losses to teams like the Jets, the Jaguars, and the Patriots, and that Patriots loss could come back to haunt the Bills for a playoff spot at the end of the year. Uh, you know what? I mean, even the even when you look at the Jags, it was a tough loss. The Jaguars are are six yeah. and two. You know, six and two, top their division. They've really turned things around after a bit of a shaky start. So I wouldn't even put them in it. But I totally agree that loss to open the season against the Jets, the loss to the Patriots, really backbreaking. Uh, almost losing to the Giants, allowing the Buccaneers to to kind of hang around. Um, very concerning, no doubt about that. And and now you can see um, looking on the outside or looking on the inside from the outside in a playoff position. Luckily for them, uh, the Dolphins lost yesterday. Again, this Miami team not being able to find ways to beat top echelon teams. The Jets, though, sitting at four and three. They have an opportunity tonight to go uh, to five and three with a win over a very suspect Chargers team, a really weak defense. And I think that this Jets team can give a lot of fits to, to uh, Justin Herbert and this Chargers offense. Um, the division is certainly not out of reach considering where the Dolphins are. Uh, but I think the, the thoughts of winning your division um, – not even a top of mind right now. Right now, what it is, is is getting this offense back on track to what we saw near the start of the season and, and figuring out a way how you can get this offense going. Because I, I know I said the defense played really well in the second half and they've showed some some strong capabilities. But if this Bills team is, is going to make into the playoffs, if they're going to make a push here, uh, they're going to have to win by their offense. The defense, despite playing probably better than expected right now because of the injuries, uh, it's got to be the offense. And and a lot of pressure not only you know rests on the shoulders uh, of Josh Allen, but I think it's, it's Ken Dorsey. And I think a lot of people are upset with Ken Dorsey, the way that he's been calling a lot, and I tend to agree. Uh, I've been on this train for a long time. Uh, but for for me, you know, is is – is McDermott behind a lot of this? Is he the one saying we can't play up tempo all the time? We got to rest our defense because our defense is so banged up. We, we got to, you know, limit 
uh, possession for the other team. So a lot goes into it, but I totally agree. I think the writing was on, on the wall a few weeks ago when, when they just barely got past a couple of bad teams and then lose to the Patriots. It's not over by any stretch of the imagination. There's still a lot of football left, but they have a tough, tough stretch, a tough schedule coming by that they're going to have to pick up a, a win here or, or there against some pretty high caliber football teams. One thing I wanted to say about the Miami Dolphins, Pat, is the first half they were god-awful against the Chiefs, but the second half they outplayed Kansas City. If they had applied that for the whole game, I believe they would have beat Kansas City. The Chiefs are a great team, don't get me wrong, but they don't, they're not unbeatable. And as for the Bills, I, I mentioned this to somebody on Twitter last night. I see so many similarities between Sean McDermott and the former Bengals head coach Marvin Lewis because for many years the Bengals were the laughing stock, and Marvin Lewis good guy good coach got the Bengals back to being respectable over 500 making the playoffs but could never get them over the hump uh, mm -hmm. with Carson Palmer Andy Dalton and some good quarterbacks to me this is what Sean McDermott's remind me of he's a he's a decent coach but I don't think he's the one that can get the Bills to that next level in my opinion it's starting to look that way isn't it Chris and I I, I think that uh, what Sean McDermott has done over the past few years has been remarkable he's turned this this team around into a you know a perennial playoff contender he's built a good culture um but i think they're past that part now i think they need someone it almost feels like they've they they've gotten as far as they can with with mcdermott and and with this regime and i think brandon bean maybe is getting off the hook a little bit here because when you look at this offense, uh, Gabe Davis is their you know number two wide receiver. When you look at some of the top teams in the NFL, um, no no shots against Dave, Gabe Davis because we've seen some great games out of him. It's the consistency that's an issue. He was nowhere to be found yesterday. Um, they should have went out and got another target. They should have went out and addressed the offensive line. Josh Allen was running all over the place last night um, and didn't have a lot of time in the pocket. They had absolutely zero run game. Can you blame that on the running backs or is that more of an offensive line uh, problem? I think it's a little bit of both, um, uh, but I, I like Cook. I think he can be a very valuable running back um, in this league. But I just feel like it's a lot of it is poor offensive line play. And you know how important your you both lines on both sides of the ball are. Um, right now, this O-line uh, is, is getting exposed against some of these top defensive teams like the Bengals. Bengals secondary, not very good. But their front, their linebacking core, pretty solid. And I think that showed in a lot of spots last night. So I tend to agree. Uh, I'm, I, I don't think it's 100% sure that – you know, McDermott has hit his ceiling here, but a, a lot of indications go to show that. And I think, you know, Brandon Bean's got to worry about his job as well. So I, I, I think that depending on what happens this year, I think even if, if they do find a way to get in the playoffs um, and, and get knocked in the first round, I still think there's going to be major changes with this Bills team. It's just where uh, do those changes lie? Okay. Now, I'm not going to get into the Hurts-Allen comparison because Allen, I think, is a, an elite quarterback. But Jalen Hurts, I think the Eagles have six, set him up for more success. They've given him the running game. They, he's obviously got great mobility, but they've also given him their weapons in Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, Dallas Goddard. He has a lot more to work with than Josh Allen other than Steph Diggs, who is really his, his number one target. Yep. And I think they've also done – the Eagles coaching staff has done a 
better job in coaching up and getting Hurts ready to become an elite quarterback in this league. And Josh Allen, I just think since uh, Brian, or sorry, what's his name? Brian Dable left. Has yeah. kind of yeah. I think Allen's still a great quarterback, but they haven't done a good enough job coaching him up and giving him the proper schemes to make him successful. And I don't think they've given him enough weapons other than Stefan Stefan Diggs, who's their most re- reliable receiver. There's, there's no denying it. it. It really is like you, you look, is it, is it a scheme problem? Is it a, a weapons problem at personnel? Like, I think a lot of it falls on, on everything. And I think a, a big, a big reason is when you came into this season, you kind of just expected, okay, this, this explosive bills offense to, to take that next step. Um, obviously two couple of years ago with Dable, uh, you could tell night and day. Um, and, and I think there was re- a really good job of Dable, you know, uh, grooming Josh Allen, putting him in the right situations, calling a great game. Um, Dan Orlovsky had a, a really good clip. I think it was two, three weeks ago talking about, you know, being an offensive coordinator. It's not just about calling plays. You're calling a game. It's not just picking the right plays. It's having that right game plan and manage the, the entire game. And it feels like Ken Dorsey. Um, and again, it could also come from the top with, with Sean McDermott. It's just, they're not playing to Josh's strength. And like you mentioned as well, they also feel that perhaps they thought that this, this offense was going to be good enough, that they had good enough weapons. They expected Gabe Davis to take that next step. Um, obviously, Dawson Knox injured now, but he has certainly regressed this season. Yes. Dalton Kincaid, I think, is going to be a really yes. great piece for this offense. Very unfortunate fumble yesterday, but he's a young player. Young players are going to make mistakes. He's going to learn for, from it, and he's going to be better. Um offense of line like you got to address those issues as well i do tend to agree i think that you know when you look at the eagles man they really set up jalen hurts for success even as in his first year you just see the progression you could argue like has he regressed this year no i don't think so i think he's playing banged up and i also think that um you know he's 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 a he's a top quarterback and i do agree though he has been insulated in a much better situation a phenomenal offensive line some great great weapons around him but that's what good franchises do yeah. you you set up your quarterback for success um you you make sure you have a good defense that can also hold down the fort on the other side of the ball you make sure you have a good off, uh, offensive line you make sure that your run game's okay you make sure that you've got targets and the eagles have done that and there's a reason why despite probably not even playing their best football this season they still have found a way to be the number one seed in the nfc and that all starts at the top um with roseman with the general manager and, and trickles down to Sir, sirianni and so on and so forth and i think the culture is built there i think they're on the right track they were in the super bowl last year and it wouldn't be surprised me if they returned there because despite them not being at their best they're still finding ways to win and you and i know whether it's football hockey lacrosse baseball whatever it is good teams find ways to win even when things aren't going well Absolutely. One thing about Hertz that he's really worked on is his passing game. Uh, they've made him, he, he before he was always run first, he still has those capabilities, but because they've set him up with the weapons, Hertz probably two or three, four times a game will go deep. I've noticed the Bills now are not going as deep as often. And other than Stefan Diggs, Allen hasn't had much success. So, but, uh, as for the Eagles, they have some issues. They have some injuries on their secondary. Uh, they have uh, Dallas Goddard, who's got a fractured arm. Yeah, he's going to be loss. out f- four to six games at least. So it's going to be next man, next man up mentality. 
And every mm -hmm. team in the NFL has injuries. And you, that's why championship teams need to make sure they have the best 53-man roster and practice squad because it's next guy up. And yeah. uh, it doesn't get easier for the Eagles two weeks from now when they're taking on the Chiefs in Kansas City. And then they take on the Buffalo Bills on the November 26th as well. And uh, as for your Bills, before we get into the lacrosse league, uh, they've got a game against Denver Monday night in Buffalo. And that should be a give-me game for the Bills. And to me, that's an absolute must must win against Sean Payton and the Denver Broncos. Yeah, it's a it's a must win. And yeah, sure, at the start of the season, you probably pencil it in as a win when Bills fans are looking at the schedule. But let's not forget, this Broncos team beat Kansas City. And yes, I know um, Kansas City was dealing with Patrick Mahomes. Um, he was sick that game. Uh, but it's the National Football League. Anyone can win on any, any game. And it's a primetime game. It's a huge prove-it spot for the Bills. They have to not only win this game, Chris, I think they have to go out and look dominant. I think that is so important for the confidence of this team because you mentioned a, a tough schedule for the Eagles. Well, the Bills, it doesn't get much easier after that. They go uh, you know, host the Jets, who the Jets have always given fits to. They lost to them already. That's got to be a must-win. Then you, you go to the Eagles in Philadelphia, super tough game. You go to Arrowhead against the Chiefs, and then you host the Cowboys. And we saw the Cowboys last night um, put up a great fight against yep. the Eagles. So, And then you finish off with at the Chargers, who I think is a fraudulent team. Um, but then you finish off with the Patriots and the Dolphins. So two in-division matchups. Like This schedule is not easy for the Bills. they got to figure it out over the next couple of weeks, uh, or they very well could be missing the playoffs this year. They have eight games left, Pat. I figure for them to have a chance at a wild card in the AFC, which is crazy good this year with all the teams in one division over 500, I figure the Bills are going to have to go minimum five and three in the last eight games. And that only gives them 10 wins. And you don't know if 10 wins is even going to get you in. It might be 11 this year. And to me, and one team I want to talk to you about before we get to the National Lacrosse League is the Baltimore Ravens. Did you see this team going seven and two to start the season? I did not. I had the I had the Baltimore Ravens as as a team that I was going to take a step forward. I thought that they had a really good chance of winning the division just because of the fact that you know Baltimore is a team that always starts slow, and I just feel like the, the over the last couple of years we've seen them start slow. They figure things out, and it doesn't matter. They don't really care about winning the division or having home field. They just want to make sure that things get going. We saw the, the, that Joe Burrow started the year with an injury. So when you look at, at this Ravens team, they're built so strong um, defensively. You look at some of the numbers, whether it's analytics or some of the traditional numbers, they're the number one ranked team in the NFL when it comes to a lot of those metrics. The offense has added a little bit of a different dynamic to the passing game. Um, and, and the last couple of weeks, they've had their toughest challenges in a Seahawks team who is really trending in the right direction. Well, they go out there and handle it to them. And then a couple of weeks ago, uh, the Detroit Lions, who everyone seemed to be this, this turnaround team of the year, a team that a lot of people were pegging to, to be now the favorite of the NFC uh, of the NFC. And it's like, they then were put back down to reality. And, and I just feel like every time there might be a question mark with this Ravens team, they completely uh, prove that they are a top team. I think you could make a strong argument that they're the, the number one contender right now in the AFC. 
obviously the, the the sample size is a little bit smaller for the Bengals this year and and the Chiefs you could argue well maybe their offense isn't as good as we've seen the last couple of years this is the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has ever had uh, and, and they're winning games because of their defense if their offense can figure things out they're going to be a dangerous team but right now the only team I think I can safely say in the AFC that has the offense and the defense humming at an elite level right now is the Ravens. And and to answer your question, no, didn't think they were going to be 7-2 at this point, but I did think they were going to be a good team, but not this team, it, not this good of a team. It, it's impressive to see how good they are so far. And look at the job Doug Peterson's done in the Jacksonville last year, and then this year, 6-2. and two. That's another team I wouldn't count out because Doug Peterson just knows how to win. Obviously, a Super Bowl coach with Philadelphia. Trevor, uh, Trevor Lawrence, I think, is getting better, and that's another team, too. The AFC is not going to be a walk in the park for the Kansas City Chiefs this year. No, it really, it really isn't. I think the one thing that the the Chiefs do have going for them is that that they their defense is a it's lot good. better. It's a lot better this year. But the offense, they've got a lot of issues. They, you want to talk about a team that you know isn't setting up your team, your offense, or your quarterback for success this year? Kansas City really, really. I, I was surprised with the lack uh, of uh, you know them going out in free agency or maybe making a trade bringing in a, another target. We know how good Travis Kelsey is, but after that, they really don't have a reliable number one receiver. Um, they, they have a running back by committee. So uh, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are so darn good that you got to give them the benefit of the doubt that they will figure things out, but um, they're finding ways to win. The defense looks great. So, and you know, defending Super Bowl champs. So you got to give it to them. But I tend to agree. I think there's a lot of other teams that could certainly dethrone them uh, on their way to the Super Bowl. And we still got another half to go. So it's been an yeah. interesting first half of the NFL. Really? But Pat, um, now we're going to get into the National Lacrosse League talk because I, I, I'm i a huge fan of that league as well as the CFL. But uh, today there was an announcement from the National Lacrosse League about on box. Can you tell our audience a little bit what the National Lacrosse League is doing? Yeah, sure. So the, the league today announced that uh, the NLL Unbox, so it's the play on words of, of box lacrosse. Uh, it's a new grassroots uh, youth participation and fan engagement initiative. Basically, they're trying to bring the game of box lacrosse uh, and also the Olympic sport, which is lacrosse sixes, which will be featured in the LA 2028 games uh, to 15 different cities. So uh, I believe it's Baltimore, Charlotte, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Montreal, Ottawa, Salt Lake City, Seattle, St. Louis, and the Tampa Bay area. So I think it's it's a way that the NLL can go into these cities and develop some grassroots level lacrosse development. Um, with they're going into schools, doing clinics, going into different communities. Uh, offering programming to get kids and families to see the game of lacrosse. And I think the long-term plan is to see where these communities are engaging, because I think these are the, the short list for the next teams that will be coming in the national lacrosse. league. we know there's already 15 teams in the league. They obviously would love to get to 16 in the near future and then eventually grow from there. 20, I think would be like a really good number that probably wouldn't be within the next five to 10 years, I would say is probably a, a good ballpark, but this is a, a fantastic initiative to really piggyback off the growth of lacrosse over North America uh, over the next few years leading up to LA 28. Um, there's a big push for that. 
uh, because it's going to be the first time that that uh, lacrosse has been featured in the Olympics for a very, uh, very long time. And I think that this is this is the NLL realizing that when the Olympics do come, there's going to be a lot of interest. So you might as well get in front of it. And it's a great idea and a great way to test the waters when it comes to finding out what could really be a viable location for the next uh, few teams in the National Lacrosse League. Also, I wanted to speak to you about the Toronto Rock. How important is it for them to be actually playing another full season at the uh, first Ontario Centre instead of going to the the Fine Centre in Mississauga, I, I thought originally? Yeah, so the Paramount Fine Food Centre, which is where the uh, Mississauga Steelheads and I think the Raptors uh, 905 team, team, the 905, they play there as well. It's a beautiful facility. It's been around for a long time. They've done some great upgrades, uh, but it only holds about 5,000 fans. So from a from the fact uh, from Jamie Dowick, the the president, owner, and GM, um, that's a huge a huge cut in costs or, or revenue, I should say. Um, considering how many seats they have at first Ontario center, the fact that they built so much great momentum in the city of Hamilton and the surrounding area, uh, having Hamilton embrace them as their own steel city, rock city now coming in as one. Um, the fact that they were going to be gone for two years is really, really disappointing. And, and you know, the, the city of Hamilton uh, had already lost their OHL team. They lost their their basketball team, and if they were to lose their lacrosse team or their newfound lacrosse team, that'd be really devastating for the community. Mind you, with all that being said, uh, this this renovation is going to take place, um, you know, next year. So they will be uprooted the following year. But to get at least one more year to build that fan engagement, build that fan loyalty, I think it will go a long way. And I think when they do return to Hamilton people will be excited to have them back. They won't feel like they have just uprooted and left. Like I think a lot of people felt when that first announcement was made and it wasn't the rocks decision. They really did not want to have to move. Um, you know, it was a, a building issue, a city issue, which again, a lot of people are upset with. Um, but the fact that the rock are committing to at least one more year, and then hopefully those, those renovations can get done and they can come back. It, it's, it's massive because you've been to a rock game Um it's really starting to build momentum and one day they would love to be able to say that they're, they're a fan base that, you know, you, I don't think you could ever rival uh bandit land, but for them to, to be a, a top fan base and, and have uh, an atmosphere um, like they were close to building would be only huge for this Toronto rock franchise. And that arena was built and opened up November 30th, 1985. To be honest, they haven't done a lot with that arena. No. It's 38 years old. So for the Rock to be there long-term, they're going to have to do the renovations. And yep. I do believe Hamilton, this is speculation on my part, in the next three or four years, we'll have an OHL team back once that arena is fully done. I don't believe it'll be the Bulldogs. I believe they're going to stay in Brantford long-term. It might yep. gut feeling. What I see happening is the Mississauga Steelheads, in the future, unless their attendance gets better there, which it's been brutal, uh, I think they'll end up eventually in Hamilton in, in three or four years once that arena's done. That's what I see what's going to happen. Yeah, and, and that seems to be a lot of the rumblings going on is that Mississauga, there's a good chance that you know they, they could find their way to 
Um, not just Hamilton. Like I think there's a chance they're, they're, they're going to move somewhere because you're right for a very long time. Um, they haven't been getting the, the fan support and they've had great teams even this year. Uh, yes. I think they're like 10 and 10 and 15, like really strong team uh, poised to, to make another run. So the fact that Hamilton in, in, you know, change would then get a, a competitive team. I think that would go a long way. Um but obviously we're still a little whiles away from there considering the building hasn't even started um, their, their construction or anything like that. I agree. I love that arena. Don't get me wrong. It's uh, it's got a great atmosphere, but it's due for a facelift and, and can use definitely uh, some upgrades. I know that some press box or uh, not press box. I mean, they probably will redo the press box. Oh, that's brutal. Uh, that press box. <laughs> I know you're not a fan. I know <laughs> no. you're not a fan, but I know they're going to build some luxury boxes. So there won't be as many seats in the building. I think some of the upper bowl will be taken away. Um, not all of it, but some of that will be taken away. They're going to build some some uh, luxury boxes and, and and things of that nature. So the, the building will be a bit smaller. Um, they're going to redo the concourse. It's going to be beautiful, and it's going to be great for the city of Hamilton. And that's why it's great that at least one of those tenants, like you said, committed to staying long-term, and that just so happens to be the Toronto Rock. And and wouldn't it be a great send-off if, if the Rock could find a way uh, to win another championship in their last year in Hamilton for the next couple of years. Um, and, and maybe the next time they return in, in one or two years, they can hang, hang an NLL cup banner um, at the newly minted, newly renovated first Ontario center. And speaking of arenas, I love the key bank center, but it's, it opened up in 1996 and they haven't done much with it. And I know the Pagulas own the Buffalo bandits. So I'm hoping in the next couple years because the sabers and bandits play there and that arena gets so much use they do some upgrades as well and i think it only makes the bandits a stronger franchise with more amenities in that arena as well yeah i think over the years there have been some minor um you know upgrades in terms of like you know facelift new chair new seats some of the concourse but yeah you're right for for the last you know it, it is a little bit outdated when you look across and, and that's a national look national hockey league arena too, right? You, there are some buildings that are getting up there in age, but they put the money in, in the off season and, and upgrade a lot of things. Uh, it also only will help, you know, bringing in more concerts, which I know they get a ton of uh, the NCAA every couple of years, they'll always do like a regional. So um, if you improve that, it's only going to bring more attractions to that venue. And that's just great for, for the community, great for, for the city itself. And, and of course, for the, the actual tenants themselves, like the Sabres, like the bandits um it'll keep people coming back and wanting to to watch those games speaking of the bandits uh i had john gerkler on last week uh, yeah. nice 45 minute conversation with him and uh i just found out from john that randy Mearns uh will not be with him this year he's got a new partner so um how much did you know of randy Mearns and and and, and your experience with him in his time as the bandits color analyst so Randy Mertens is an absolute legend of the game of lacrosse, uh, whether, you know, him as a player with the bandits, him as a, a coach um, in NCAA, coached uh, Canisius College, coached uh, coaching St. Bonaventure's University as well, started that program, has really turned it um, that fast into a strong program, coached uh, internationally with uh, the field lacrosse Team Canada team many times. And uh, he, he is truly a legend, a wealth of knowledge, um, super, super fun personality, a great guy to run into at the rinks, always uh, had great times talking to him. A couple of kids that I actually coach here in Pickering, 
Um, he also coached down in the States. So he's asking me, you know, Patty, you got to send me more Canadian kids. Let me know. And so always a really personable guy, but listening to him on the broadcast, I mean, him and, and, and uh, John just, you know, they, you could tell that they've worked so many years together. The chemistry is great. They're both very high energy. They feed off each other. Um, sometimes it feels like they can finish each other's sentence. It is sad to see him, you know, leave. And obviously he's, he's uh, probably focusing more on, on uh, his, his coaching gigs, but uh, you, Steve Vermel is, is stepping in. He was a fill in for the last few years, did a lot of stuff with them on the radio. I think every single radio game during the playoffs, he was in the booth with those two guys, at least for home games. He's phenomenal as well. He, he will, he will, uh, of course there are big shoes to fill in with Randy and he won't ever be the same type of broadcaster that Randy is, but his knowledge of the players around the game and, and he never played the sport uh, of box across, but for a guy that, you know, picked up the game later in life, very knowledgeable about the ins and outs, he's very close to that bandits organization has probably has the most inside pulse uh, to that team um, knows the players really well, knows the systems in and out. So he's going to do a great job. I'm really happy for him to get an opportunity as a full-time broadcaster now alongside John, who again, though they have done games over the last few years, um, it's going to be a seamless transition because John is just, he's, he's such a pro that he will be able to bring, bring uh, Steve in. And, and again, they've already worked together, um, but they're going to just do magic in that booth up. And, and it, you know, can't ask for a better venue to, to broadcast games from with that, that crowd, with the energy, with the vantage point, it's, it really is uh, one of the best places to call a lacrosse game. Absolutely. And I like that press box a lot better yeah. at the Key Bank Center than at slow the elevator. It's a slow elevator, but at least there's an elevator and you don't have to worry about the uh, walking across the catwalk. And John uh, just did his 300s broadcast last year. Uh, technically, this is his 20th year, but only 19 because of the pandemic. Yep. And I hope one day he gets a media award because I think John's contributed so much to that league in it. And to be honest, it was because of you and John. And even Brian Shanahan that got me into the game of lacrosse. And now I wish I had gotten into it 20, 30 years ago, but uh, I want you guys are the reason why I'm into it. And I, I love the sport and learning from each of you. And John has so many stories to share as well in his 20 year career with the bandits. Does he ever, he's one of my favorite guys to, to run into, whether it's at the rink or at the hotel after shoot around or after the game, grab a drink with them and, and tell stories about, you know, his times you know, with the bandits or even when he was with the, the Buffalo Sabres. Uh, he's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to broadcasting itself. Uh, and I agree. I think it is long, long, long overdue that, that, uh, Mr. Gertler wins a Tom Borelli media person of the year award. I think a, a lot of us, um, I've been grateful to to win win an award. I've won an award, and some of my colleagues have won awards as well. We think that maybe this year is is the year that that uh, you know Gertler should should get an award, and it's very well deserved for all the hard work that he does. Yeah, I mean, he also not only does he do the the TV broadcast, he's on the radio, and he travels with the team. Fifteen. He, he's and yeah, he's got his his pregame show, um, which he's down at at, at morning shoot around talking to players, talking to coaches, building that shoot around, you know, he does it himself. Um, and he has also got his blog, um, you know, on, on Sabre or on uh, bandits.com. It's for, the name is, is escaping him of his column every week, but he does a great job. I always read him, and uh, you know, he does so much for this organization does so much for this league. I think it, it is a long overdue award uh, for John Gertler. 
you know what? I still think he's a great broadcaster, and I think the Sabers obviously had RJ and 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 the late RJ and Dan Dunleavy, who does a great job, and Ted Darling, and so many great guys. But their loss was the Bandits' gain, and uh, sure. things happen for a reason. And I'm just yep. glad John became a part of the National Lacrosse League. But even as a hockey announcer, I thought he was one of the best out there as well, and I think he could do a lot of sports well. And, oh, uh, no doubt. Just wanted to give him a shout out. Uh, uh, Pat, are you still good for a couple more minutes? A couple more questions? Absolutely. Lacrosse talk? Okay. Um, want to get your thoughts since we're talking about the Buffalo Bandits. Uh, thoughts on them winning their fifth National Lacrosse League title this past June over Colorado? Uh, just a masterful, masterful uh, playoff performance from this Bandits team. And long overdue, really. They're, they're a team you talked about. Um, teams not being able to get over the hump. Well, let's let's not forget this is a team that fell short multiple times over the last few years, uh, not being able the year prior, not being able to beat the Mammoth, uh, falling short in overtime, losing two games to none uh, the year before the COVID season in 2019 to the Calgary Roughnecks, losing in the finals. Like Dane Smith, 0-3 in the finals until this point. And now it feels that, you know, they, they got over that hump they taste victory. Like we could be on the precipice and I know it's a bit of a hot take just because of how competitive and, and the parody in the, in the game of lacrosse, like we could be on the precipice of a dynasty uh, with the bandits here. Like I think there's no reason they shouldn't be the favorites to win once again, as long as Matt Vince is in between the pipes, as long as Dane Smith and Josh Byrne are on that offense and the defense is as tough as nails. Like they should be a team that has the championship window that's wide open right now. Uh, what they were able to do in the playoffs to, to, you know, win their first round uh, against Rochester and really take it to them offensively, then beat the Toronto rock in two straight games and, and then go into color or win game one, have that adversity um, in game two, getting beat and getting beat pretty good at that um, physically, um, they just looked really discombobulated and it really felt a lot like almost deja vu what we saw um, in the previous season when Colorado was the ones who got the last laugh in game three. Uh, but then one of the most dominant performances I've ever seen from top to bottom in a championship game, just steamrolled, steamrolled Colorado, a great Colorado team at that the offense was clicking the defense was impeccable and Matt Vince really put on an unbelievable performance it, it was great to see so happy for bandit land uh, the fact that they finally got a championship in so many years the the city of buffalo itself was really hungry for a championship Dane Smith uh, getting his first championship etching his name into some of the greats John Tavares winning his first championship as a head coach really happy for that that organization and I think this could be the tip of the iceberg here. I think that, you know, they're only, you know, I, I really do believe that there's an opportunity for them to 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 make some noise here and, and win a few cups in a row. Do you see any similarities to the team, the Bandits team in 92, 93, that went back to back, and then again in 96? You know what? It, it's tough for me to say. I was only one years old, but I, I mean, okay. I am a, <laughs> I, I uh, was, uh, I am a lacrosse. Like I, I do still go back, watch, watch those. I know the names. They're all legends. Like you look at the teams, it's tough to say the league was a little bit smaller. There weren't as many teams. There wasn't quite as much, you know, parody because the bandits were so good, but you look at some of those names on those bandits teams, Tavares, uh, you know, Veltman, sure. Um, the Kilgores, like they were 
absolutely loaded with talent. And I think you could argue that this Bandits team, it's tough to say right now because so many of these guys really are still pretty young um, in their careers, I should say. So it's tough to say, but in terms of the offensive power, no doubt like that, that team was loaded uh, offensively, defensively, really stout as well. So I think if they, if they can win here, Chris, and they can, they can go back to back. I think it's easy to point fingers and say, look, these two teams are, are so, so similar, but the league was just a little bit different at that point. It was at, a, a, you know, a much more infancy stage. Um, but I, I mean, it, it, it certainly is a great story to, to have those parallels. Are you surprised that Matt Vince came back? Because a lot of people are like, at 40-41, you just won a championship. What a great way to go out. Are you surprised he came back for two more years? Part of me says yes, but part of me says no. Like Matt Vince is an absolute competitor. He is... He keeps his body in such good shape. Like he is probably one of the best in shape players in the NLL. And he's probably one of the oldest players in the NLL. He he really is a phenomenal athlete. He takes the game so seriously. Like he's got a bunch of different, um, you know, notebooks with just shooting charts of, and different uh, philosophies of offense, different players where they, their tendencies are. Um, and, and all the hard work that he puts in, I'm not surprised that he's not ready to hang it up. He loves the game. He loves this team. He loves this organization. He's from St. Catherine, so he's not far away. It's a close commute. Uh, I think that, you know, him signing uh, a multi-year deal, I think a lot of people are like, oh, he's he's like, he could still retire after this year. I think it's just the stability and the option for him to have that is, is what was important for him. Uh, so I think that that's a big, big part here, but uh, I'm not, I'm not really necessarily surprised because I also think he sees the group in front. If this was a team that had a bunch of older guys on it and this was their last kick at the can um, and you felt like there was going to be a lot of turnover, maybe he then rides off into the sunset. But the fact that they just signed Dane Smith for another five years, Josh Byrne is nowhere even close uh, to, to, to even passing his prime you look at the defense so many young pieces ian mckay um even on the offense with Do- dogan anacoke uh, brandon robinson chris cluche this is a young core group so he knows that within the next three years they have an opportunity to win more he probably wants to add another couple of trophies a couple of rings to his resume and then he'll hang them up definitely a lacrosse hall of famer i wanted to ask you this pat is Devlin Shanahan, do you think when once Matt is ready to retire and move on in the next year or two, um, do you think he would be capable of becoming the bandit starting goalie from what you've seen of his work in lacrosse? It's it's really tough because anytime that you have a legend like Matt Vince to, to be the next one is so difficult because let's be honest, there really aren't any, there aren't any many other goalies that were the elk of Matt Vince. He's going to go down as one of, if not the greatest goaltender to play the game of box across. With that being said, Shanahan's still young, um, but he, you know, in other leagues in the summer, uh, whether it's the Western Lacrosse Association with Anaimo, whether it's him in Mimico in his junior A career, he's proven that he can be a starter. He just needs to do that at the next stage. I also do believe that Shanahan can be a reliable starter one day. I also think Matt Vince recognizes that you know maybe Shanahan's not ready quite yet. Didn't want to put the Bandits in a bad spot, retire, and then you force Shanahan into a role where he's probably not quite ready. I think 
And it's crazy to say, because Matt Vince is a guy that always wants the cage. Maybe not this year, but if he doesn't return next year, I think maybe we see Shanahan with some more starts. We see him to, to start getting more opportunities to see what you have, because let's be honest, as much as we think Matt Vince could play until he's 50, he's not going to. Uh, he's going to have to retire eventually, and you need to know. That's also why I think they went out and, and got Orleman. Um, they 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 figured out that you know if Shanahan's not the guy. They need to find someone. So it's a really interesting battle right now for the backup position. Uh, be, and it's not so much a backup position; it's the heir to the throne. It's going to be the next guy that steps in after Matt Vince. And I don't think there's a bigger shoes in the National Lacrosse League right now than the next guy to fill in for Matt Vince. I I think Shanahan has the pedigree to do it. It's just one: is he going to still be around? Is he going to want to go find another opportunity? Like if Orleman beats him out in camp here, um, does Shanahan go to the Bandits and say, I don't want to be on practice roster. I think I should be battling for a position. Maybe that's the case. Maybe not. Maybe he's okay with being on practice roster because he thinks that, you know, in a couple of years, he's going to be able to battle for that job and that starting role with the Bandits. Pat, I wanted to ask you this as well. Obviously, each NLL team has three preseason games. Is it? Why is there a reason why the fans are not allowed at the preseason games? Is it just because the uh, the cost of having to bring security ushers and opening the food stands? Because I think certain cities like Toronto and Buffalo would probably draw pretty good, decent crowds for preseason lacrosse games. Yeah, so uh, obviously a big reason goes into the fact that you know if you open up the venue, and, and it's it's not that it's a league rule or anything. It's it's okay. It's it's if the 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 the, the teams want to. So for example, the, the okay. Toronto Rock have uh, uh, three exhibition games at the Toronto Rock Athletic Center in uh, Oakville. Okay. That's open to the crowd. You can go to those. You just I think it's just you have to bring a non-perishable uh, food item um, if you if you do want to to go there. Uh, I know Halifax is in Six Nations um, at the ILA at the Iroquois Lacrosse Arena. Um, same thing. Bring a non-perishable food item. You can watch watch those games. So those are obviously lower budget arenas. Um, you know, with the Toronto Rock owning that building, doesn't cost them anything to to open that up. Uh, I know the Vancouver Warriors. I, I think they initially were planning on on um, having a game in their crowd. I know Calgary. You used to. I don't know if they're doing it this year, but Kurt Miloski, uh, the new head coach of the Vancouver Warriors, what he loved doing is the last exhibition game, have it open to the public, have the game presentation, have the lights all that stuff because it, it kind of simulates a real game for some of your rookies and they can get that test. They can get that taste. Yes. It's not a true game, but it's not, you know, going from playing in an empty arena at the Langley event center to then going into a building like the, like bandit land or going into even Vancouver um, into a great crowd and, and you kind of get overwhelmed as a rookie. So that's one thing that Miloski I thought has done a great job. I think we'll see more and more teams do that over the next years, but you nailed it on the head at the start. It, it just costs a lot for these teams to open up the building. You got to pay the security people. You got to, you know, pay, uh, you know, success or uh, concessions, all those type of things. So it goes a lot into it. Um, it, it is, it would be nice that more teams can and, and more teams I think will eventually, but at least the ILA for, for some games and uh, some games at the Toronto rock athletic center. If you go to each of their uh, you know, social media 
channels, the schedules be up there. So if you, if you or anyone watching, listening back uh, to this podcast, want to go see an exhibition game in either Six Nations or Oakville, head to those social media, whether it's Toronto Rock or the Halifax Thunderbird, and you'll be able to see their preseason schedules there. And the Bisons have an open practice this Saturday, November 11th from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. at the KeyBank Center and an autograph session. And I guess John Tavares is going to be talking to the fans. So the Bandits are doing something for their fans as well, which I think they'll probably get 10,000 people to show up at the KeyBank Center on Saturday morning for a practice. Yeah, that's something that they've done for a long time. Um, and it's a tradition that they like doing. And I know the fans love doing it. They get to meet some of the new faces, see some of the old faces. And the fact that, you know, I, I think the championship trophy, the NLL Cup probably will be in the building. I think they'll be really excited and it will only kind of build up more hype. I, I don't necessarily think like these events, these events are great. Don't get me wrong. These events though, aren't to bring in new fans. These are kind of to like reward your, your season ticket holders, your, your fans that have, have been there for a long time. Although it would be a great opportunity for new fans to come out and see this. But I mean, if you're going to go to a bandits game, if you're going to go to an NLL game, go to a regular season game and really see the game presentation, they do such a great job. But with that being said, if you're in the Oakville area, if you're around six nations, um, and, and you, you've got an opportunity to go see a preseason game. Absolutely. Why not bring a non-perishable food item? You're, you're helping a good cause and you're also seeing some great lacrosse. All right, Pat, last the question about the bandits, and then we'll talk a little bit about the league in general and Halifax, but what are your thoughts on, uh, Dane Smith getting a five-year contract with the bandits? I thought there was a limit on how many years in that league, but I guess they gave him five years and, and, um, in terms of players over the years you've seen, Pat, where do you rank Dane Smith up there, the Kitchener, Ontario native? It's, you know, I'll start with the, the, the contract. It's one of the bigger contracts that we have have seen in recent years. We've seen a couple of big five-year contracts. I believe Brad Cree and Challen Rogers of the Toronto Rock signed a five-year deal. Chris O'Riglieri of San Diego, a young up-and-coming goaltender, signed a five-year deal. Um I think it was an eight-year deal for Cody Jamison. A few, like you know, eight. I think it was about ten years ago. Now um, he signed a big deal. Uh, so we have seen five-year deals in the past, but this is usually the biggest deal that we we normally see. And why wouldn't you lock him up? You ask, where does he stand on on the all-time greats? Like it's tough to say because he still has so much, you know gas in the tank just in his early 30s uh we've seen lacrosse players play up into their 40s the fact that we could see dane smith play for another 10 years like you know john Tavares is his goals and and his points record seem virtually like untouchable at some points and i don't know if he's going to be able to get to to you know steve i think it's seven one thousand seven hundred and 50 or something close wow. to that nature. Yeah, it's 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 quite yeah. remarkable. But I, I think when all said and done, there is probably going to be a conversation if Dane Smith is, you know, one of the greats. The thing with him is is so unique. It's his size and his, his athletic ability. Um, we haven't seen too many players be his size, be as fast as him, be as athletic as him, while also still being so, so highly skilled. Um, it's remarkable. I mean, you look at a guy – you know, like John Grant Jr., um, he was a huge body, had probably some of the most creative hands and 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 vision and was such a special talent, but he wasn't quite as up and down, shifty, as fast as Dane Smith was. Dane Smith obviously didn't quite have the hands and the creativity that a guy like he, he has. It's really tough to say. I don't know where I could put him now. I think he's got to be 
you know, after winning that championship, he's got to be in the top 10, but when all, when all said and done, he could be a top three guy. Uh, he could be a guy that's in the conversation for a Mount Rushmore position. It's so hard to tell because, you know, there's so much time left and even another guy in the league. I mean, he's only been in year two, but Jeff Teat comes to mind. Like this is a guy that's putting up really historic numbers for his first two years. Where does he land? Um, you know, championship obviously has to come. I think New York is going to make some really good steps forward. Uh, but they're still a far ways away. And I think the championship that Dane Smith has added to his resume is only going to help him at the end of his career to decide where he comes uh, of, of the all-time greats. Absolutely. And uh, last thing about the Bandits, Pat, John Tavares, we know he's a Hall of Fame lacrosse player, but where do you rank him as a head coach and, and, and the job he did last year with his Bandits team? I think for sure last year, I mean, it's very obvious with his championship that it was his best coaching job, but the way he was able to keep this team together, you, you look at all the adversity that they faced last year, this bandits team, this core really never faced much adversity at all. Um, this year they did so many injuries. Dogan Anico was out for an extended time. Chase Fraser seemed like he was in and out. Um, you know, Brandon Robinson, a big grit grinder lefty, a guy that was, you know, they brought in, he was finally that missing ingredient, a guy that can crash and bang. Well, he gets injured out for the year. He's, he then now is able to, you know, or sorry, the piece that he was really excited, him and Steve Dietrich, the general manager, were excited to bring in, taken away, Chris Cloutier in and out. So he was finding ways, like he had Brand, uh, he had Dylan Robinson, Brandon's younger brother, a guy who was junior age eligible, a defender, uh, playing offense for some games. Um, Adam Bomberry, a stay-at-home defender, had to play offense because they were just so short and they figured out ways to win they you know they had some tough losses the albany one that i mentioned them going out uh to san diego losing that's another one that pops out but the the way that he was able to keep this team together keep that belief in the locker room and a lot of people said that you know when you look at this band it's offense well there's only one ball to share who's going to get the touches dane needs his touches well josh needs his touches dogan anico it's a guy that the ball needs to be in his stick to drive and engage well he made it sure that all those guys bought it and there was no butting heads in that locker room at least it didn't seem like it especially in the playoffs everyone bought in they didn't care who scored as long as the black orange and white were scoring they were excited and you could see that that cohesion in that group, that locker room was so tight. Those guys loved each other on and off the floor, and it all starts from the top. And I think John DeFerris did one heck of a job having that team believe, and not just believe, because look at all the studs on that team, especially offensively. The fact that he had them buying into the system the way that he knew they had to play. They couldn't play like they did in years past, where they blow everyone out in the playoffs or in the, the regular season and then come playoffs. You can't play that brand of lacrosse. You can't just flog shots from the outside, rely on the outside shot. It can't just be one or two guys scoring. It can't be the defense, you know, getting exposed, getting tired. Like it was from top to bottom. They bought in, the defense bought in. They didn't care that everyone was talking about how good the offense was, even though you look at some of the underlying numbers that the defense was winning them some games, some nights. And Matt Vince was standing on his head and bailing out the offense when, you know, they were shorthanded. I think it's it's really, really, really goes – I don't want to say unnoticed, but the fact that they're just so talented on the floor that the work that John Tavares did in the, the, 
the locker room and in the preseason and and all that belief that he built up in the team and keeping them together during the season, I think it does go unnoticed just because of how talented they were on the floor. They're built for long-term success. And they used to say yep. this in New England when Brady was there, the Patriot way. Well, right now I would say the Buffalo Bandits have the Bandit way by John Tavares. And the guys just check their eagles at the door and, and they come together as a team. And like you said, Pat, as long as they score the goals, they win the games. That's what matters in the end. No doubt. No doubt. I, I, I do think that I said it off the top of the show when you asked me, this team is built for success. As long as Matt Vince, the next couple of years, him still locked up. The way that their defense is built, young, uh, tough. Uh, they also have guys that can play both sides of the ball. And then, I mean, the offense speaks for itself. Um, they're going to be favorites at the start of the year. And it would not shock me if, one, they win another title, or at least they make a long, long playoff push here, uh, just because the, the team is so, so well built. All right, Pat, this first part of this question, you've already answered, but uh, can you just tell our audience a little bit of some of the, the changes that the, the National Lacrosse League made for this upcoming 2024 season? Yeah, so forget about East versus West. Um, it's it's now a unified standings is what they're, they're calling it. So uh, basically the way that that means is, you know, it doesn't matter of ge geographical uh, location, they are going to be ranking the teams uh, from one to 15 and the top eight teams are going to get into the playoffs. So we now have an opportunity. Maybe we see a Buffalo Toronto finals. Maybe it's a Colorado San Diego final. I think this is the truest form to find out who is the best team in the national lacrosse league. Another great thing is everyone plays each other once. So there's 14 games. You at least play one you you know you play someone once um the other thing is every other year you you switch so let's say for example buffalo plays san diego this year in san diego the next year and i don't know i just pulled out two teams in my head um then they'll travel the next year uh vice versa so fans will get to see the best players and every player in all different teams at least every other year that's something that's fantastic. The other thing is obviously with there being an 18 game schedule, there's four other games remaining. And those are kind of the flex games. Um, what those games are meant for is the historical rivalries, the geographical geography rivalries. And that allows, you know, the Buffalo bandits to, to still play the Toronto rock twice a year or Rochester twice a year. It allows this new, rivalry that's brewing between Halifax and Saskatchewan, two small market Canadian teams that have played some un unbelievable games over the year in previous years, because they were East and West, they wouldn't be able to play. Now they're going to be able to play not only just the once a year, but this year they're playing a home and home. So that really builds that intrigue. Um, I already mentioned the superstars so like Jeff T and Dane Smith, if you have season tickets to an NLL team, you're going to be able to see them at least once every year, which is phenomenal. That helps grow the profile of some of these amazing athletes. And it helps allow to build rivalries because, you know, there's some Canadian teams like, you know, Vancouver that hadn't seen, you know, maybe the Toronto rock in many years or Calgary only got to see Toronto for the first time in four or five years, whatever it may be. There were some gaps in between a lot of these teams playing each other. Um, and I think a big thing is building up Canadian robberies. You talk about the TSM game of the week. Well, I think 
the league. I think that the, the, the network TSN wants more head to head Canadian matchups. Well, this is also an easy way to build those rivalries and, and engage the non-traditional fan, uh, maybe who doesn't really know much about lacrosse, but they flip on a game and it's a Toronto versus Vancouver game, or it's a Saskatchewan versus ha- uh, Halifax game, whatever it may be. The fact that it's Canadian teams going head to head, almost like a lacrosse night in, in Canada type of thing. I think that will only help engage the casual sports fan or the casual lacrosse fan. I'm just glad they're not going to that NHL playoff system, which I absolutely hate. I'm glad it's going to be one versus eight, two versus seven, and three versus six. I assume, Pat, the playoff format is still going to be winner go home in the first round, the one-game show-off, and then a best of three, and then best of three. Any chances the NL finals could ever go to a best of five at some point? I think that's the plan eventually. I really do. I think I think it, it will probably won't happen for another few years, maybe two, three. Okay. Uh, but it, it's definitely something that the league want. Right now, the issue is they don't want to extend the season too long. One, you have the Premier Lacrosse League, which is the, the professional field lacrosse league, which uh, a lot of players also play in that league. So you don't want to extend too far into their season. But also the thing is season goes longer. Um, you know, you lose interest, you lose engagement, it starts to get warm outside. Um, people have cottages, people go away, whatever it may be. The longer the season is, it's it's not. So I think it's going to have to get to a point where these players are either full-time or they're able to play games instead of, you know, only from Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You get rare Monday or Thursday game, not very much. But if you are able to get these teams to play more than just two games a week, or even if it's you know a Tuesday, Sunday, maybe they play three games a week. That obviously the the season or the schedule will have to expand as well um, a little bit. But once these players maybe are full time players. Um, then I think you can maybe make a case for five games. I would love to see it. I think it's. Uh, I think the, I'm glad it's it's moved to three. Five would be fantastic, but uh, I think we'll get to a point where maybe it's three, three, five, or uh, you know, seven would be amazing. I think we're still a little far away from seven, Where's but uh, but I, I think I think you, I think you're right. I think you're onto something. I think we could see it uh, in the not so near but near future. Absolutely. And before we wrap this up, Pat, um, you're a color analyst for the Halifax Thunderbirds. Um, can you just, uh, what's your feeling on the Halifax Thunderbirds coming into this year? And who are some players for fans to watch out for on that team? Yeah, this is a really big, big year for the Thunderbirds. Talked about how the core of the Buffalo Bandits is is pretty young with some aging veterans, but mostly a really young team. Uh, but even their young players have been around for a long time. The 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 Halifax Thunderbirds are a little bit in a, a unique situation. They have a, a relatively young core, but then they also have some older players as well that are near the end of their career. Cody Jamison, their captain, the heart and soul of their team. How much... How many more years does he still have left? Ryan Banesh, another guy. Very, like A lot of people thought Banesh was going to retire this year. He's come back for another season. There are still elite talents. It's just how much gas do they have in the tank? Are they going to be able to give it for another 18 games and then push into the playoffs? But they have a lot of really young talent. Clark Peterson, I think, is on the precipice of being a really 
um, you know, a righty superstar in this league. Randy Stotts, a guy that they picked up last year. What a phenomenal year he had. I think he has the capabilities to possibly be an MVP. And then you look on the defensive side of the ball, Jake Withers, best faceoff guy in the game. I think he's going to take even bigger step of being that one of those go-to defenders. Graham Hossick, perennial, you know, three-time defensive player of the year. He was nominated for a defensive player of the year last year. Um, and then some of the maybe names that you haven't heard over the past few years, uh, Dawson Thie. He, this kid is a massive, massive body, big lefty. Um, he was also still playing uh, university hockey um, for St. Mary. So he really wasn't like a full-time player. He's done. He's graduated. He's not playing hockey. He's put his full focus in lacrosse, played all this summer, apparently in great shape right now. And I think he's a guy that could take uh, uh, the next step. Uh, Eric Fennell, who is a, a great contributing piece on that left-hand side, actually got hurt in the Man Cup. Uh, with Six Nations, so it sounds like he might be gone for the year, so this is an opportunity for him to step into the lineup. Cole Kirst is an American player um, that they drafted, I believe, two years ago. Uh, he is now eligible. He's going to be a rookie this year, very similar to a guy like Ryan Tarafanko, an electric, electric talent, supremely athletic, um, but I think you'll see Tarafanko more as a transition player, was Kirst. Might actually win himself. A, a, it sounds like he's playing really well offensively, and might be maybe an offensive piece that can also go back and play some defense. So you have two really athletic American players that can play both sides of the ball. I think that adds a different dynamic, and I think that, like many teams in lacrosse, goaltending is going to play a big role. Uh, when Warren Hill is on top of his game, he is a top five goalie in this league, no doubt about it. But over the last two seasons, he has not shown that consistency. I think a lot of it has to do with staying healthy. Um, but he goes through these stretches over the season where you know he he just can't put a full 60 minutes together. And I think if he can figure things out, get back to how he played in 2019, the, the COVID-shortened season, he was phenomenal. In my opinion, he probably should have won goaltender of the year or at least been right up there. Um, Doug Jameson also had a pretty darn good year as well that year. But I think if he can get back to elite status, be that top five, top six goalie in the league, um, this Thunderbirds team could make some noise. And I think if they don't win a championship here or at least go on a, on a big run, I don't know if there's going to be big changes, but Cody Jamison might be gone. Ryan Banesh might be gone. Uh, I think this team could look a lot different. I don't want to say rebuild, but maybe it's more of a retooling and they bring in different pieces and and try to go at it again. But I do feel like this for this core group that they have here, this is, I think, the last year they have a chance to win a championship. I feel personally they could be in the top four in this league. I think they could be a top four, top five team, in my opinion. Yeah, I think I, I, you know what, I'm really interested and, and I, I, you know, I keep going, I've, I've been going through, you know, my so on power rankings and I haven't put them out anywhere, but I really think that it's going to be a real challenge. The fact that, you know, it's, it's, you get away at the divisions. I think Buffalo's got to be there. Toronto's going to certainly be there. San Diego regular season for sure. Colorado, Colorado as well. But I mean, when you look at, when you look at, San Diego, they dominate in the regular season. When it comes to playoffs, though, they falter. Whereas Colorado is a team that just sneaks into the playoffs and then they turn then things around. Turn and exactly, they turn it on. So that's that's a tough thing. But now with only you know the the only the eight teams 
getting in, like you can't really just say, ah, we'll sneak in and we'll figure things on or, you know, slow start. Like every game matters. matters. It doesn't matter if it's out of division, in division, because there is no more divisions. I was talking to Ed Como, uh, the, the head coach of the Georgia Swarm yesterday, and he said that last year, you know, they started out so, so poorly. Uh, they figured it out. They've turned things around. Brett Dobson, young rookie goalie, was phenomenal. Uh, and they just missed the playoffs. But he said, Pat, we can't afford to do that this year because with how tight the standings are going to be, I know we just missed out. It won't be just missing out if they start the year 0-5. You start the year 0-5, you might as well kiss your season goodbye. And as for the Georgia Swarm, do you feel long-term that this franchise can be successful there? You know what? It's it's tough because they have such a strong, like they have a strong core group of fans. It's just they haven't been able to to reach out and really bring in those new fans. Um, I, I really do do believe that you know there's a lot of talk that there could be a new building being built in the metro uh, Atlanta area, and that they might, which is crazy to think that an NHL team could possibly be back there in a couple of years. I think that might help their case, but. I, I I think that, you know, with them having Lyle Thompson, one of the best players on the planet, and them struggling to have consistent attendance, uh, I don't know if it's going to work long. And I don't know how long um, John Arlotta and that ownership group is going to want to keep that team in Atlanta. Because as you're seeing today in the unboxed, like there is obviously interest in box across and they've done their research. They didn't just randomly pick those, those cities. They have feelers that these could be potential next cities and maybe it's not an expansion team. Maybe Georgia moves somewhere. And it's, it's unfortunate because like I said, they do have a small passionate fan base down in Georgia, um, you know, that consistently show up. But you need more than just you know five six thousand a game. You you know it to be really viable. You got to get more fans than that. And um, you know it's it's unfortunate because they like I said they do have some passionate fans down there. They just need more than what they were doing. And and if Lyle Thompson can't move the needle, um, I mean they won a couple they won a championship a few years ago. If that can't move the needle either, maybe it is time to pack up shop and find a different uh, location. All right, uh, Pat, I'm going to wrap this up because I think your pal is probably wanting to go out because I can hear him whining. What's his oh, name yeah. anyways? <laughs> That's Rudy. Rudy. That's Rudy. Okay. <laughs> oh, after Notre Dame, I yes, imagine. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yes. Yeah, because yes, I, 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 I get out. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to wrap this up, Pat. But uh, again, I want to say thank you for coming on here today and giving me over an hour of your time to talk Buffalo Bills and the lacrosse. Where can my audience follow you on social media? And what's quickly the latest on Cool Bet Canada? Yeah, of course. So you can follow me uh, on Twitter at pgreggy and uh, at pgreggy22 on Instagram. And uh, if you want more information on Cool Bet Canada, follow us on socials on all our platforms at Cool Bet Canada. Um, yeah, so take a look there. Some great promotions going on with Cool Bet, and uh, it's a great time, obviously, to be on Cool Bet NFL, NHL, NBA. NLL will be around the corner. We have odds on that as well. So uh, if you want to learn a little bit more, head to our socials and find out that way. All right. Well, Pat, I want to say thank you so much today for coming on here. You have an open invite coming back and hopefully we'll see you at one of the rinks in December, either in, in Hamilton or in Buffalo as well. 
Yeah, I hope I hope to see you as well, Chris. Keep uh, keep grinding away. Love uh, tuning into your shows, especially when you're talking lacrosse, but all sports. I always try to tune in as much as possible. And uh, yeah, I would love to see you at an arena. I, I heard you saying to to Gertler, maybe you might end up in Rochester, Albany. I highly suggest uh, if you want to make that road trip, check out a couple of arenas. But I will say you're pretty lucky. You've got two of the two of the better venues or at least fan bases that are really close to you with the Toronto rock. And of course, bandit land. Uh, it's, it's tough, tough to dethrone them as the best, uh, best fans. But before I do get going, Chris, I don't know if you saw this. I had yep. to wear this. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to be updating my shirts in the next awesome. few months. Awesome. I'm going to be awesome. using my, I'm going to be using my cartoon character as my uh, logo. So I'm going to be updating uh, that. Awesome. I uh, mark me down for another t-shirt, Chris. <laughs> Definitely, and coffee mugs are going to come back too. I have my own Beauties. coffee mug. I don't think you can see it on here because of my virtual background. But yeah, no, no. Okay, well, Pat, I want to say thank you so much. Take care of Rudy, and uh, we'll <laughs> see you. We'll see you at the nearest uh, lacrosse rink in the the next little while, and uh, hopefully, we'll see you at an Argos game this Saturday in Toronto. They're playing I, the Alouettes, three o'clock. I know, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it out there. I don't know if I can, but yeah, great cup. Mm, not too far off. Maybe fingers crossed the boatmen go there. Absolutely. All right, Pat. Thank you so much. Have a great walk with Rudy and we'll talk to you <laughs> soon, buddy. Thanks, Chris. See you soon, bud. You too. That was Pat Gregor from Cool Bet Canada, and he's also an analyst with the National Lacrosse League's Halifax Thunderbirds, as well as a color analyst on the TSN Lacrosse Game of the Week. And the uh, Lacrosse League regular season starts up in December. Saskatchewan at Halifax, December 1st. Philadelphia at Toronto on December 9th. Buffalo opens up their defense of their championship on the road in Albany on December 9th. And then the Bandits... Banner raising ceremony at the KeyBank Center is Saturday, December 16th at 7.30 against those San Diego Seals as well. Before we wrap this up, guys, I'm going to show a little clip uh, from the National Lacrosse League's YouTube channel. It's called Heart and Soul, and this was done about uh, the Bandits superstar, uh, Dane Smith, before the Bandits uh, won their fifth championship and Dane's first ever in the National Lacrosse League. And I'm going to play that right now. Again, this clip is courtesy of the National Lacrosse League. It's called Heart and Home. So much to Buffalo. My first ever NLL game was in Buffalo. I was fortunate enough to have my cousin, Billy D. Smith, uh, show me the ropes. He uh, took me to my first ever game. It was packed out house. He ended up fighting that game, taking me to the dressing room afterwards. I got to meet all the guys. It was, it was an unbelievable experience. And then here I am today building a house in Buffalo. Buffalo is pretty much home to me now. I want to give back as much as they give to me. Uh, they took me in as a 19-year-old uh, kid coming into Buffalo, and at first I was like, oh, okay, it's a little bit rougher, it's it's tough. But then as it it's grown on me, it, the city's grown, 
Um, they love their sports, win or lose. They're, they're, it's a community, and you see that with so many different things, whether it be the Bills, whether it be the Sabres, whether it be the Bandits. It's, they love the sport so much, and they just want to win. And I just want to win, and it was a great fit right off the hop, and I'm looking forward to bringing a championship, hopefully, to Buffalo soon. You don't see many guys, especially in the, the sport world, um, stay on the same team, uh, whether it be hockey, lacrosse, basketball, whatever it may be, that they kind of tend to bump around. But Buffalo is a great fit from the start. Last year, when I when I won MVP, um, to me it wasn't a huge accomplishment. Um, I don't know why. It was maybe because I've gotten older and I, I, I want to win a championship so much. What meant the most to me is how my teammates spoke about me. And I want to give back to this community. And right now I'm, I'm trying to actually build um, lacrosse for little kids and a travel team here in Buffalo. So eventually, hopefully that grows and, um, and, and they're the next ones up. Buffalo's always given to me, um, whether it be um, me putting up something for an auction just to give back to somebody else. But they've always supported that and they've always given to me. So now I want to give back to this community. And uh, Buffalo has so many talented lacrosse players or athletes, period. And um, you see so many talented players go to Canada to play or to Rochester to play. And I want to keep them here in Buffalo because I, I think that there's so much talent there, but they don't have the coaching to kind of take that next step. And I want to be there for them to kind of make them take the next step. And it's exciting. It, it's a different part of me. It's it's hard because you're not out there. You can't control it on the floor. But that being said, it's, an, it's the next step for me to grow as a player because I want to teach the next generation to be the best they can be. I've teamed up with Evo Shield for the past two or three years now. It, it's been awesome. It's meant the world to me. I, I've always been the type of player that uh, likes to be different. And uh, they kind of gave me that ability to be different. Um, they're, they're an up and coming um, equipment factor. But that being said, that they're, they're growing so fast and I just wanted to be a part of it. What I love about this company is that they give me full range to communicate to them and they listen to me. They give me full range to be like, hey, I think we should tweak it here or, this has got to be a little bit different, but the comfort level in these arm guards is like none other. The ability to put on an arm guard and customize it to you, there's nothing out there like that. So it's, uh, it shows that um, it's different than any other um, company, and it's pretty cool to see. And I, I think a communication between us two is huge. They have a player like myself being able to tell them, okay, we need more padding here or we need less padding here. I've always wanted to be a part of a, a sponsorship where uh, they take my ideas and um, we, we learn from each other and the, the equipment molds to you and there's nothing been done like that before. And I know a lot of players are excited about it, especially myself. I know people um, don't like to talk about themselves and I'm one of those people. I, I credit all my success to the people around me. You can't be the player you are unless the people around you make you better. And I think this organization makes me better. The city of Buffalo makes me better. And Evo Shield gives me the ability to feel freely about the way I wear my gear. All right, everybody, that clip was courtesy of the National Lacrosse League, heart and soul of 
Dane Smith, now a 2023 National Lacrosse League champion for the first time, a two-time MVP of the National Lacrosse League 2016 and 2019, and also the 2023 NLL Finals MVP. And this guy is going to be a Hall of Fame uh, lacrosse player when his career is done. Last year, 36 goals, 96 assists, 132 points for the for for the from the Kitchener, Ontario native, and overall in his career, uh, 346 goals, 604 assists. 950 points and the Buffalo Bandits just recently announced uh, a five-year deal for uh, Dane Smith, the great Dane Smith from Kitchener, Ontario. And if you've never been to a Bandits game, check out the Key Bank Center, Bandit Land. You can get tickets at bandits.com or check out the National Cross League's website at nll.com or Toronto Rock. Uh, who play at the First Ontario Centre in Hamilton, check out their website, torontorock.com, as well. The next live with CDP Sports Talk, brought to you by Barry Collins Chevrolet Dealership here in Guelph, Season 7, Episode 2, Thursday, November 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern, with my special guest, Thomas Gerard. He is a TEDx speaker out of Vancouver, British Columbia. So I hope you guys can all tune in to Episode 2, Season 7, this Thursday night at 7 p.m., again with Thomas Gerard, uh, a TEDx speaker as well. As always, Live with CDP Sports Talk is a weekly sports and entertainment talk show hosted by yours truly, Chris Palme, is on weeknights from 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern on radio station WQEE 99.1 FM, The Key, the home of Southern Sports and Talk, the heartbeat of Atlanta. The radio station's website is wqeefm.radio12345.com. Live with CDP Sports Talk is always live streamed on these platforms, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, slash X, Twitch, and LinkedIn. And I want to say thank you to everyone for watching this episode with Pat Greg or today live stream and also on the audio platforms and WQEE 99.1 FM. You can also follow my work on, on the internet uh, through beacons.ai slash Chris D. Palme. Live with CDP Sports Talk is also sponsored by Barry Cullen Chevrolet Dealership at 905 Woodlawn Road West in the Gulf Auto Mall. Check out barrycullen.com for the newest selection of new pre-owned GM vehicles or give them a call at 519-824-0210 or email them at info at barrycullen.com. And speaking of Barry Cullen Chevrolet, gear up for fall at Barry Cullen Chevrolet with the 2023 Silverado 1500 pickup truck. 0.99% financing for up to 60 months. And also, guys, winter is coming here in and winter is coming here in southern Ontario. Buy a set of four winter tires from Barry Cullen Chevrolet, and you can get up to a, a you can get a rebate up to $125 on your winter tires, depending on the manufacturer. More details at barrycullen.com or pop by the dealership as well. You can also follow me on TikTok. Yes, I am a TikTok creator at Live with CDP. That's at Live with CDP on TikTok. You can check out my player interviews, coaches' interviews, and my promos and my media work there on TikTok. StreamYard is the official live stream provider of Live with CDP Sports Talk. If you're into webinars or podcasting, such as yours truly, check out StreamYard.com. 
Live with CDP Sports Talk, the audio version is available on these platforms. iHeartRadio. Uh, just one second. iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify for Podcasters, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify, CastBox, LinkedIn, Pandora, and tuned in and WQEE 99.1 FM, which will be airing tonight at 8 p.m. as well. You can also reach me at email. You can contact me through email or phone um, via my email address, cpalme19 at gmail.com, or you can text the show at 519-820-7188. Comments, questions, suggestions, any kind of feedback would be greatly appreciated as well. And I'm also on all social media platforms, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, at Chris D. Pame, uh, Instagram, and also please subscribe to my YouTube channel, Chris Pame, live with CDP Sports Talk and on LinkedIn. And for those people who have subscribed to my YouTube channel, I'm up to 235 subscribers and counting. Thank you so much as well. Also, guys, some NFL news. The Eagles won yesterday 28-23 to over Dallas. Uh, Jalen Hurts with 17 out of 26, I believe, for 206. Two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a touchdown. And the Eagles are now 8-1. and Dallas is 5-3. and The Eagles are now on our bye week. And their next game is not until Monday, November 20th at Kansas City. So a Super Bowl 57 rematch against the world champion Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium in two weeks' time for now. And um, the Eagles have uh, uh, some injuries on their secondary. And also uh, the tight end, Dallas Goddard, um, has a forearm injury, a fractured forearm. So Dallas Goddard's going to be out probably, I'm guessing, four to six games. So he'll be out a little while. That's a huge loss. But the Eagles do have uh, pretty well two weeks off, and hopefully they can get some bodies back for the Kansas City game. And the Eagles have a nice cushion in the NFC East, uh, two-and-a-half game lead over Dallas as well. Credit to the Dallas Cowboys as much as I disliked them. I thought they played uh, a great game yesterday. Both teams were sloppy with uh, uh, penalties and stuff like that, but Dallas uh, almost pulled that out at the end. It was nerve-wracking for us Eagle fans, but I thought Dex Prescott played one of his best games in his career. Uh, other than the two-point mishap where he stepped out before he got there. Uh, but I think the Cowboys are still going to be a good team, and Philadelphia still has to deal with Dallas uh, one more time in the regular season in Dallas, they believe, in December. And I do think these teams, the Cowboys-Eagles, are going to play each other in the uh, NFC playoffs at some point as well. And I think that's about it. Oh, before I wanted to go, guys, I want to give a shout out to the uh, Humane Society of Greater Niagara. They're always looking for volunteers or fosters for some of their animals, for cats and dogs. Check out their website at hsgn.ca, or you can call the Greater Niagara Humane Society at 905 682 0767 that's 509-682-0767 or you can email them at hello at hsgn.ca i just wanted to give a shout out to the humane society of greater niagara who are always looking for volunteers fosters and donations as well as they do look after a lot of animals dogs cats uh rabbits birds etc as well that's about it. I want to say thank you to my guest, Pat Gregor, 
his eighth time on my show, and he's also from Coolbet Canada and also from the uh, TSN National Cross League Game of the Week and also an analyst with the Halifax Thunderbirds as well. And before we go, guys, I'm just, yeah, I wanted to let you know about Jalen Hurts through nine games this year for the Birds. Uh, he's uh, got an NFL best record, eight and one. Uh, he's completed 68.9% of his passes, 2,347 passing yards, averaging 260.8 per game, 15 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 316 yards rushing seven rushing touchdowns, uh, three fumbles. Hopefully he can get that cleaned up going forward. 22 total touchdowns and a 97.0 quarterback rating. And uh, what can you say about Jalen Hurts? 25-2 and two in his last 27 starts. And the Eagles under Nick Sarani since he took over as the Eagles head coach in 2021, 31 wins and 12 losses. And as always, go birds, fly, Eagles, fly. Again, Thank you to everyone watching this live streamed on my audio platforms and on radio station WQEE 99.1 FM. I hope everybody has a great evening and we'll see you here Thursday night at seven o'clock for season seven, episode two of live with CDP sports talk brought to you by Barry Cullen Chevrolet and on WQEE 99.1 FM with Thomas Gerard, a TEDx speaker out of Vancouver, British Columbia. Have a great rest of the afternoon, everybody, and also enjoy the Monday night game tonight between the LA Chargers and New York Jets.